Amen. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful that He's given us reason to trust? Really, that's been our theme for this series. Has it not that we've been... Um, our theme verse has been, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And uh, certainly appreciate that. Although I have suspicion that Dennis must have take, looked at my notes and texted them uh, where I'm at. No, probably. I'm sure the Holy Spirit has... Uh, he's better at communicating even than, than text messaging. Amen. You know, as we, this week we've had a lot of conversation, a lot of talk about the coronavirus, haven't we? And uh, it probably would like to forget about it, but, you know, it's kind of strange, but how the Lord works, it just seems like as we've been preaching through these names of God, they've just kind of lined right up with what's been happening, hasn't it? Just kind of strange. And, and so this morning, I want to talk to you about Jehovah Rafi, the Lord that heals you. That was next. That was what's supposed to come. I just thought, Lord, you're just, uh, so, several of these, it just felt, felt like it's, it's hit just right at the right time in different situations. And I just kind of, I don't know, I, I just marvel at how the Lord works. But you know, I, I was thinking about with this coronavirus and, and different things, and I was thinking about crises, and you know, we, we all have a different way of responding to crises. We, we, as many people as here, we, we have different approaches, and, and Here's mine. I want to know all the things. I, I want to collect the data. I want to know what the, the CDC is saying. I want to know what the... Uh, I, I'm, I've looked at so many charts and graphs, and my mantra in the middle of any kind of crisis is data, data, data. I just want to know the stuff that's, that I need to know. And I think probably most of you would probably guess that. I, when I prepare for a message, I like the data, the information, who what are the commentators saying on this passage. That's just kind of who I am in general. I like to know. And I don't like to be in the dark. And I know that there are some people, if they don't need to know it, they don't want to know it. As a young person, I would spend... Uh, time on the websites. It was it was great. The inter internet was new, and there and uh, there was websites dedicated to useless information. And I would spend all my I mean every time I had a chance at school when I had didn't have homework and I could get on the computer, I would go to these websites and just look up useless information. I love useless facts. I think it's, I, I learned during that time, and, I, uh, it's, and this is, I know that this is, none of you need to know this to survive, but I want you to know that giraffes clean their ears with their long tongue. <laughs> Aren't you glad to know that? You can leave here this morning having learned something. 
just love facts. I like the data. If I'm going to make a major purchase, I know all the things. I know I compare all I compare them and I'm looking for where's the best bang for my buck. And I just I I I almost embarrassed to say this, but there are times that I'll spend a year in research before I ever buy it. Especially if it's several hundred dollars. The more money it costs, the much, much slower I am to buy something because I want to make sure I have all the data. It's just the way I work. And so when crises comes, when, 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 so when coronavirus shows up, I'm looking at the data. That's what I want. I want to know the facts. So I'm reading what doctors are saying. I'm, no, I'm reading what nurses are saying. I'm, re I'm reading everything, not because I'm paranoid, but because I want to know. And if you ask me, why do you have to know? I said, well, I have a family to protect. I have a church to protect. I want to make sure that we do the right things. I have been in communication with our board throughout the week about what is our approach as a church. As we've been trying to think about things in order to make sure that we do the right things. And they're probably sick of getting emails of, or text messages of, of this is what this church is doing and this is what this other church is doing just to give us some things to think about. I'm doing that because the data is important to me. But you know what? I suppose that there are people here that that, that isn't the way they're at, they feel about it at all. Some of you are, well, some of you are panic-stricken. And you know what? That's okay. I have, I have an acquaintance who is absolutely terrified right now. And her alertness, her, her fears are way beyond what I think is rational. But... She's lived a life of trauma, just one trauma after another. All she's known, it seems like, it seems like she's never has a good day. And, and I, part of that might be the way that she looks at things, but part of it is just true. If, if the life that she's lived, she has, she has had repeated horrible trauma, things that have happened to her that it's created in her this, this response that everything is, should be fearful you have to be on guard because you can't trust anyone or anything. And so I don't want to be hard on her this morning, and I don't want to be hard on you if, if, if your approach is panic. Some of us have the opposite approach. We don't care. We survived SARS and Ebola and E. coli and H1N1, and we... we I, we will survive this too. And you know what? That's fine. It's what that that is how you approach it. Some, some are hoarding. And if you have enough stuff in your bunker to last a year, or maybe ten. Those of you that have listened to talk radio and, and you've been buying those ration things that, you know, those meals that, that they sell on, I, I never understood why conservative people are, are the ones that they target 
with, uh, you know, these, these food items that'll last 20 years. Food that can last 20 years just kind of scares me about eating it 20 years later, just to be honest, and actually eating it right now. I wonder how many preserve what is in that thing? Okay, but, but listen, if you've got enough food to last a year, you can survive, and you, I mean, you are prepared, but more than prepared, you are, you, I mean, you're, a, wow, you've got it. There's some people, I hope nobody here, some people bought up all the stuff so that they could price gouge their neighbors. I don't, I, I don't think that's right, okay? I think that's wrong, but there's some people, they see an opportunity. Where everybody else sees a problem, they see an opportunity. And that can be a good thing, where others see a problem, they see an opportunity. But to take advantage of their neighbors is wrong. So we've got all these, and you know, I maybe don't have yours. All right, there's, there's a lot of different ways we can approach a crisis. You have your way, I have my way. And you know what? Some of them are okay, and some of those are, are, maybe, are wrong. I want to talk to us this morning about the first time that Jehovah Rafi, the Lord that heals you, shows up in the scriptures. It shows up 60 times but it shows up in the middle of a crisis. So I want, to, uh, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Exodus 15. Exodus chapter 15. And uh, this is one of those times that the girls mentioned in their song. And it happens at, or just after another thing that they talked about in their song. And right before a different thing that they sang about in their song. They just, the, the girls were just nailing it this morning. And their accuracy... Um, and we're actually going to talk about some of those, uh, probably all three of those major events that were talked about in the song that they sang this morning. But Exodus chapter 15, and uh, let's go down, uh, start at our reading in chapter 22. So I want to tell you what's happened to, to give you the setting. Uh, Pharaoh has been cast into the sea with his great army. Moses has sung a song. Okay, they finished the song, and Miriam has sang with them. They're having a good time. And uh, so we've just had a great victory. The Egyptians will no longer pursue them. The army's destroyed, the Pharaoh's destroyed. The song has been sung. We've worshipped the Lord together. We're singing and having a great time. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. Now Shur means wall. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Isn't that interesting? They go to the wilderness of wall and they hit a wall. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. I just, you just see it everywhere. If we, under, if we can see and we can understand. They go to the wilderness of wall, called the wall and they hit a wall. There's no water. And when they came to Mara. They could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. This place actually exists, uh, at least in my reading, still, still exists. They, they know approximately where this is. In fact, they, they think they know where it is, and they say that the water is very brackish. It's not great. It, you can't drink it. 
So this is this is not this is not okay that the water is you know tastes you know like there's lemon in it. All right. This is this is not just, just suck it up, buttercup, and drink it. They can't drink it. It's it's not drinkable. Okay. So and the people murmured against Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. So a temporary cleaning of the water. Temporary cleaning of the water. Enough for them to take, meet their needs. And he said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healed thee. I am Jehovah Raphi. And they came to Eliam, where the twelve waters of, wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Wow. They're in a crisis, aren't they? How long can you live without water? Three days. It's about what you can last without water. It's three days. And how long have they been without water? Three days. Now, I don't know if they had canteens. I don't know that they hadn't drank in three days. I would not encourage any of you to go one day without water. Okay, I would, I would not encourage you to try it. I certainly wouldn't encourage you to try three days. I have to assume that they had some kind of, of canteen, some kind of water with them. I, I don't know all the details. God doesn't tell us. But the water's gone by day three. The water's gone. And the people are in the midst of crisis, just like we're in the midst of a crisis. They're in, in the midst of, of a serious situation. There's no water. And as a parent, I'm going to be concerned. Moses hadn't been leading the children of Israel very long. Let's just be honest. It's only been a few days. It probably hasn't even a week since he's really taken leadership of the people. And do you know, in the midst of crisis... The real you comes out. The real you comes out. If you take an orange and you squeeze it, what's inside the orange comes out? You get orange juice. And if it's ripe and it's, and it's right, it's sweet and it's sticky. If you take a grape... When it's ripe and it's ready and you squeeze it, you get grape juice. When you, when you take any item, you take an egg and you squeeze it, <laughs> you're going to find out what's on the inside. And the Lord says that he allowed this to prove them. The Lord allows crises in our lives. It squeezes us. We're pressed in. And we feel that pressure from life. We feel that pressure from the crisis. And do you know what comes out? What's on the inside. 
I told you for me. Data, data, data. That's what's on the inside for me. I have to know. I need to know the details. And so for me, I, that's, that's what comes out. You squeeze me. You put pressure on me. And I'm, I want to know the best way, best way forward. I want to know the details. I get a new prescription from the doctor. I actually read what are the side effects. I read about what it is used to treat. In fact, it's funny. I, had, I went to the doctor this week because of this stuff that I've been having, this bronchitis or whatever it is that, that I've been struggling with for all these weeks. And uh, she, she gave me a prescription and she told me, she goes, I know you're going to look it up, so I'm going to tell you right now that this medicine is used for COPD, but you don't have COPD. I'm just giving you this because your lungs need this uh, uh, steroid to, in order to help clean some of that stuff out of your lungs. You do not have COPD. She knew... She knows me well enough to know that I care about data. And she wanted to make sure that I knew before I went and looked it up that I didn't need to be worried about having a diagnosis that I don't have. Thank the Lord for a wise doctor. <laughs> I appreciated that. And you know what? I didn't end up even looking it up. I thought, you know what? She told me what I needed to know. I'm just not going to look it up. That doesn't mean I won't look it up sometime this week. <laughs> but in, in the pressure, when I went out to Oregon, we were on the beach. And uh, in our rooms, in our hotel rooms, was a tsunami evacuation plan. Someone asked us, one of our, one of our uh, uh, mentors that was there asked, who all has read the tsunami evacuation plan? I was the only one. They haven't had a tsunami there in decades. But I need to know the data. If there's a tsunami coming, I don't want to stop and have to read the plan. I know some of you are laughing at me because you say, if they haven't had one in decades, what's the chances of them having it while you're there? It doesn't matter. I need the data. Because when the crisis comes, I want to be prepared. That's me. If you squeeze me in a crisis, you squeeze me in, in a difficult time, I need, what comes out? What, it, it's questions. Tell me what I need to know. Tell me what I need to know. And when the children of Israel were pressed because there was no water, do you know what came out? Complaining. And do you know what? If we're just being honest, and, and, and I'm not pointing my fingers at any one of you, and I just want to be really careful to you to understand that I'm not pointing my fingers at anyone here. I'm not thinking of anyone. But do you know what? In the midst of this, there's a real temptation to complain. We can complain about our president and how he's handled it. We can complain about the media and how the, they have handled it. We can complain about... Uh, our nation's preparedness for, for a pandemic. We can complain about our neighbors who, who are hoarding and we can't get what we want at Walmart. 
And you know we can get just like the children of Israel when we're squeezed, what comes out is complaining. We complain about the fearful or we complain about those. And, and, and this is interesting, that one that I was referring to that was, that was paranoid, she was complaining on Facebook about the people who were taking it too lightly. And it was driving up her anxiety. You know what? When squeezed, the children of Israel complained. And you know what we want to do? We want to look down at them. And we want to say, you know what? There's something wrong with you. God just threw the horse and the rider into the sea. You just were singing about that. You were just praising God for that just three days ago. Just three days ago, you were celebrating victory. What's wrong with you? But how many of us have been guilty of complaining this week? Complaining because our plans have been changed. The thing that we wanted to do was canceled. We begin to just get complainy because it's what's on the inside. You know what? I believe that the reason that the children of Israel had such a problem with complaining is because they'd been slaved for so many years, so many generations. And when you're a slave, the only thing you can do is complain. They would, they would have to work all day. They'd get whipped. They'd get, you know, they, unfair treatment, resources that weren't enough, hard work, bad days. And you'd come home and you'd sit around a table with the meager provisions. And you know what you did? You complained about the taskmasters. You complained about the cruelty of it. You complained about a God who didn't hear your cry for deliverance and how Abraham had made this promise. You probably complained about Joseph and, and how, why he brought them there. And for 400 years, they've been complaining about their situation. I'm not, listen, I'm not going to criticize them because I'm not volunteering to, to be a slave for four days. Or even four hours, if we're just going to be honest about it. And for generations, they, all that they have done is they've gotten up early in the morning, they've gone to work, they've labored, they've had, been, had all sorts of cruelty done to them, and they went home and complained and went to bed, and the next day they did it all over again. And so when they get to... This place, they've crossed over the Red Sea, or through the Red Sea, rather. They've crossed through the Red Sea, and they're on the other side. And the first problem that comes up, they're doing what they have always done. They're doing what has come natural to them. What, what has been programmed into them from generation to generation. This is what we do when things don't go the way we want them to go. We complain because we can't resist and we can't revolt. There's nothing we can do. All we can do is complain. And so here they are. They're free. But you can set, break chains around people's wrists, but the chains around their mind and the chains around their hearts often stay for a long time. And sometimes people are never able to break through them. And there are people who get saved and the chains of sin are broken, but the habits, 
the ways of thinking stick with them. And they may even get sanctified. And these, these, these ways of thinking, these habits of thinking that are in the heart and in the mind, they're not free from it. And we say, well, am I sanctified? I mean, I've got this, I've got this, this way of being. And here's what God is saying to us this morning, I believe, is God allows these crises into our lives to reveal to us what's on the inside. In these last several Sundays that we've been studying, the Lord sees us. What happened is Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a child. And what did they do? They, they decided to take things into their own hands. They started to make plans and they started to take control of a situation that they shouldn't have been in control of. That's me. That's me. And you know, they, they, uh, Hagar was mistreated. And so what did she do? She took the situation into her own hands and ran away. And there she saw that God was the one who saw her. And last week we talked about God, again, proving Abraham, putting him to the test, putting him in the squeeze where God, where he's allowing for uh, this, this commandment that he's giving to sacrifice his own son. And what's he doing? He's finding out what's inside of Abraham. And this time, this time it isn't Abraham trying to take things into his own hands. He's trusting God. See, he's learned from that time to this. Abraham has moved up spiritually. Where once he was taking things into his own hand and doing what, what he thought was best, now he's doing what, he, what God tells him to do. And he's trusting God even to be able to raise his son from the dead. And here in this story, God is pressing. God is doing the squeezing. God is allowing the crisis into the lives of these people. He's allowed for there to be no water. And he's doing it to reveal to the hearts of the children of Israel what is in their hearts. He's revealing the truth about who they are. But here's the scary part. Is they don't get it. They're going to go up to the Canaan land. They're going to send them the spies just like the girls sang about this morning. And you know what the ten are going to do? They're going to come back complaining. They're going to come back complaining. They're going to complain because there's no food and God's going to give them manna. And they're going to complain about manna and they're going to want meat and God's going to send them quail. They're going to complain all along the journey. Miriam's going to complain about Moses being in charge and she doesn't like it. And she's going to get leprosy. It's going to continue as you read through the book of Exodus. You could, if you just took a highlighter and, for, and all the times you see a complaint being made, it's through the whole book. It's through the whole book of Exodus. You can continue on into Deuteronomy and some of the stories there and even in perhaps into uh, Numbers and you read through the stories and it's one complaint after another. And how many times do they say, there's flesh pots in Egypt, we had meat there, we're going to turn around, we're going to go home to Egypt. Complaint after complaint after complaint. And complaining may not be your thing in the midst of a crisis, but whatever your thing is, God's revealing it. 
And the question for us this morning is, is when we are squeezed by life's crises, whatever comes out, is it something that honors God or is it something that's about us? You see, for me, for me, I need things in my life that I can't control. I need those things because I like to have control. I like to have the data. Paul prayed. He said, Lord, remove this thorn from my flesh. Three times he prays. And God says, I've allowed this thorn in your flesh because I'm trying to teach you something that's in your heart. Paul, you need to understand that your weaknesses are avenues for grace. If you don't have the weaknesses, Paul, you're not going to rely on my strength. You're going to rely on your own strength. Paul, you're self-reliant. You need that thorn. You need that problem in your life because I'm teaching you something through it. And we, can all, we all get all blessed about, my grace is sufficient for thee. I don't think Paul was excited about hearing that because Paul wanted to, to be healed so that he could be strong, so that he could have the ministry he wanted. But God's grace was sufficient for him, was a consolation that God knew what was best. And see, Paul, when it was revealed to him what was in his heart in the midst of the crisis, Paul said, Lord, yes to you. If you want me to change my attitude, you want to change what's inside me, I'm willing to be changed. That's the heart of the sanctified person. I told you a sanctified person could have chains about them. Even sanctified, have the chains, but still there needs to be a healing. You see, it seems really strange that no one gets healed when God reveals for the first out of 60 times in the Old Testament that he's the Lord that heals you. No one's healed. Well, the water was healed, but, Jesus, but God said, I'm the God who heals you, not that heals water. I really believe the message that God is trying to get through to us is he's more interested in healing our hearts and our minds than just healing our bodies. And yes, God does heal our bodies. And thank God when he does, I'm not trying to minimize that. I believe that in healing. I, I believe in anointing. I believe in the laying on of hands. I believe in those things. But I believe that the reason that God reveals this name in a situation where no one's getting healed is because they need a healing of the mind because the, all these years in slavery has ruined the way that they think. I know a dear lady who's, who spends her life with the wrong kind of thinking. And her thoughts were hatred to self. She hates herself. She hates the way she looks. She hates her, her weight. She hates her, her uh, choices that she's made. She, she, she hates a lot of things about herself. And she got saved and she got sanctified. But you know what? She still hates herself. And finally I said to her, you hate yourself. And the talk that you say to yourself, is the self-talk is all negative about you. 
And she needs a healing that comes as a result of a choice. I recognize that the, my attitude, I, I recognize that my choices are not healthy, and so I'm going to make choice changes. But also, I'm going to need the Lord to bring healing to my mind. You see, Caleb and Joshua got it. Caleb and Joshua got it. They went up to, to the promised land, and they came back seeing opportunity where others saw problems. They got it. They saw the revelation of their heart that they were complainers, and they started making changes. They started making changes. But the rest of the people didn't. And so I'm asking you this morning, as you are faced this crisis or other crises in your life, when God is pressing you, what comes out? Is it sweet? Is it something that honors God? Or is it selfish? Do you have to be in control where God is in control? Now I understand there's a level that we need to be in control. God's given us dominion. But, but do we have to have control where God is in control? Are we complainers? Are we hoarders? Where we hurt our neighbors? If you have plenty, I hope you share with your neighbor. If you have need this morning, it, I, please don't steal our toilet paper. Ask us, we'll get you some. Don't steal. If you have need, I don't want you to go without. We'll get you some. We'll find some. Somebody here has got some, I know. What am, I, uh, there, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the crisis reveals what's already in the heart. And what we choose to do with that knowledge determines whether that crisis was really worth it or not. You see, the crisis reveals, but it's up to us to choose to submit to be healed. The crisis reveals, but we have to submit to be healed. What does God say? You need to hearken to what I say. You need to listen and you've got to do. You've got to walk in obedience. God spells out the lesson. He doesn't always spell out the lesson for us. Let's be honest. And then there's other times that the Holy Spirit does spell out the lesson and we wish he hadn't because we wish we could have, have played dumb. The Holy Spirit reveals through the crisis what's in our hearts and then we've got to submit to be healed. And so I'm asking you this morning. What's in your heart? What's coming out? Does it honor God? Or do you need a healing? I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not sanctified. I'm not trying to, to tr put on a spiritual burden that you ought not to have. I'm just trying to suggest to you that what's in the heart it may not be carnal. It can be ingrained habit that needs to be submitted to God for healing. He is the God who heals. And thank God for physical healing. And thank God for, for the physical touch. 
But folks, let's just be honest. What we have greatest need is the healing of our mind and of our hearts. And if we, if we don't like what the, what the crisis reveals, let's submit to be healed. Let's stand together. Amen. Brother Gary Skink, would you please dismiss us in prayer? <laughs>